Here is to a new episode of Parole with Alexandra Yamoyaboyi. My guest is Lucine Shutimbabazi, an African pioneer evolving in a digital space. She first studied in Rwanda, and now her calling is taking her to serve the continent. Her resume shows her passion in building something for Africans. It is sometimes easy to dismiss the work and the strength needed to pull the challenges she's facing. Listening to her gave me a new level of optimism. Africans are doing things for themselves, and by leveraging technology, industries are shifting and pushing forward. Lucy has worked for Visa, Ecobank, and now for the UN via the Better Than Cash initiative. According to a TechCrunch article published last year, Visa cemented a partnership with Safaricom, the Kenyan telecom company behind M-Pesa. I cite, this arrangement opens up M-Pesa's own extensive financial services in East Africa to Visa's global merchants and card network across 200 countries. It goes on, across Kenya's population of 53 million, M-Pesa has 24.5 million customers and a network of 176,000 agents. You can also check the Ethiopian telecom public company, Ethio Telecom, that agreed to sell 40% of its stake. Ethio Telecom is said to have between 45 to 53 million subscribers. For some time, I wondered how digital payments, mobile money, were changing the unbanked. Not the usual city person, but the one living in remote places. On parole, Lucie shares about the impact of digital payments while serving refugees. After the genocide that occurred in Rwanda, the leadership has worked on a plan to revitalize the country. Vision 2020. So much progress. The fact that people are thriving for more equality, access, independence is for me a testimony that so many things can be done where there is a vision. Let me remind you that as an associate producer for African Tech Roundup, you can hear, learn more about the African tech scene. So many things are happening that will surely help you understand your next move. If you're looking to invest, to hear from founders, movers and shakers, African Tech Roundup on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. For Parole, Instagram, and you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Enjoy. Lucy Shuti Mbawadzi. Is it the right accent? <laughs> Perfect. I don't think it's the right, you know, there's anything like the right accent. I think if you're able to 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 say some of those names, you can say these names from, you know, I'm sure there are there are Burundians called Shuti and called Babazi and maybe Absolutely. Lucy as well. So I'm going um, to ask you, is it Babazi the same meaning in Kirun? Because it's funny that you have to Yeah, same. Okay. Same, same meaning. Um Babazi, you know, kindness, Shuti, friend. Lucy apparently is a giver of light. I don't know. My mom was feeling good. Um, <laughs> she was giving. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I brought light in her life. I hope I continue to. Humanity in just one person. There you go. Mm. Good to see you. I, you know, she had such high hopes and um, I hope I'm living up to them. Come on. So glad to have you here. A woman who's in the tech industry, a woman who is from East Africa. A woman who, whether you like it or not, is changing the way we do business, the way we interact with people. I'm glad because I've lived in Burundi and I've seen the problem with people managing cash, not having, I don't know, not knowing exactly what MasterCard and Visa meant, and 
let's just say 15 years afterwards, because I'm 33, let's just say in my younger years, here I am talking with someone who is at the forefront of what's happening in Africa. So, but before that, let's just say that uh, congratulations, just had a baby. Well, eight months ago. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's by far the my greatest accomplishment. And just hear her saying, mama, mom, you know, and calling for me and all of that is, is just precious. And no matter how difficult of a day you have, you have to put on that you know, happy and brave face. And, and she makes it easy because she's just, you know, when she sees, she sees us, she just lights up. Um, so it's, it's, it's truly amazing to. It seems like there's a time where you, when they say mama and then you get fed up. What is that age? You haven't seen it yet. I, d- I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I pray to God I never get fed up because um, it's some, it's something that I prayed for for so long. And, and so, um, I hope that when I catch myself being fed up, I, I really slap myself and snap oh. out of it because it really is a privilege. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure the time will come. <laughs> and there are those days when I'm like, just can you just go to sleep? <laughs> uh, but yeah. It looks like it. But she's my, generally my mom, a great girl. My mom had six daughters. And uh, I think at some point, yeah, ah. I, I see your face. I see your face. And I think I might, like when I look back, I'm like, Maybe at some point she was really fed up of us, you know, just screaming her name. Like six it's... girls. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you said that it's girls, but just six children is, I don't know how our parents did it. And our grandparents had, Honestly. you know, nine, 10 children and, and they didn't have access to the information that we have. They didn't have the tools that we have. They didn't have you know, the culture was not even one that, you know, dads would be, that should be involved. And so I, I have so much respect for our grandparents and their parents and our parents, because they, they did it all without Google. They did it all without apps to walk them through every step of the way. Um, You know, I, 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 I express milk for my child and my mom just, she's so amazed at this whole, you know, pumping thing, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> she just says, wow, I mean, really times have changed and they didn't have that. They had to suffer through all of that or squeeze it out in a towel or something. We are privileged in so many ways, but it's not lost on me that many mothers around and many times when I'm obsessing about what am I going to cook for her? What is, you know, I just think, kids around Rwanda, their parents are not fussing, right? They're, you know, whatever is on their plate is what they're giving them. And, mm-hmm. you know, so just give her whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, um, mad respect, six, six, six. But, you know, what a privilege when you grow, when they, when you all grow up, right? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've heard so. that daughters are, are amazing. So I imagine that, <clears throat> not that boys are not, but I always, people would say, you're having a girl, that's great. You know, it's good to have a girl first. So six girls must be, must yeah. be something. It's, uh, yeah. it's a wonderful time. And, and then I had a friend, like a co- former co- classmate who were, there were like six boys and we used to compare notes and we're like, nope, 
I'd rather take the girls. Like this, because <laughs> food-wise, at some point it was just horrible. I think they were like giving them bread, one bread per day, because they're like, no, it's just I can't feed you. I can't imagine six. <laughs> but it's beautiful that's incredible yeah it is of course i mean of course it's it's beautiful everything has its perks but yeah if i go beyond one it will be a miracle (laughs) when i look back and the the way as you said we don't have they didn't have google but they were like there was something in us or in them that spoke about motherhood and parenting your woman your mother and you work you know how do you juggle all these things? All these things. I was too, but it's more than we two. have it so easy. I mean, as I've said, um, we have it so easy compared to our our moms, right? So imagine a, mm. a mother having to take care of six children. But she she did have. I'm not saying that it's everybody's. In her case, it's like she did have help. Even if you have help, True. you still are the primary provider, right? It's excellent to have help. And I, I also have help through my hu- husband, who is super involved, uh, and my mom, who lives next door and, you know, okay. comes in when, when she can. And the first, the first month she was here full time from 6 a.m. to like 9 p.m. just taking care of us. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it really is God's grace. I, you know, it's, it's it, because, I mean, who am I to to be able to, to, to do this. I think it's grace, uh, grace to be able to wake up and, and, and do it and do my job full time and um, have a supportive partner and um, have a happy child. Who are we if it mm. isn't for God's grace, right? So I truly think that, you know, God makes things happen in, 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 in his heart, their time and, provides you with the with everything that you need to to make it happen I think it's a miracle that that our grandparents and our parents grew up and and we grew up and here we are um, and can do the same but with so many resources at our at our fingertips so I am I am just thankful that it I and I can only say it's grace that makes it possible I am not a superwoman, <laughs> far from it. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, obviously with, with scheduling, you're able to make things happen with, uh, you know, COVID, uh, one of the silver linings of, of this difficult, most difficult time has been telecommuting. So being able to work from home, having a position that allows me to work mm-hmm. from home that I know many people don't have is, has been super helpful. Uh, that I can walk, you know, walk away, have a space that I can walk and focus without uh, much disruption. You know, all that is grace. um, uh, So it's only possible because, you know, the universe has made it so and and God has been so gracious. And I just hope that people in my position don't even uh, for a second complain because we, we have it so good. So I can't complain. Because <laughs> um, grace has 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 made it possible. The timing of this, the the ability of it, it's 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 grace. When you think about it, um, I'm gonna give you a glimpse of my childhood a little bit. It's uh, '93, 
crazy stuff happening in Burundi up until, let's just say, early 20, uh, 2000. At some point, you know, when you have like problems in the neighborhood, violence, rockets and guns, you wake up and then you go to school <laughs> and then parents will wake up, will actually wake you up and then they will go to work. Mm. I imagine what Zoom, if Zoom was like up there at that time, mm. how much like less trauma will have up until now. Know, it's not that right? I'm complaining because, you know, mm. people were dying on the other side and I was awake at six and then going to school. How do you see like technology changing, I think? us or our kids know i think technology is what is one of those double it's a double-edged sword right it has all these incredible things about it but it also has so much bad right um but what's important is to use it for good now uh with with it even during a pandemic where there was lockdown, we're able to still convene, we're able to still communicate. I can't imagine a pandemic hitting without many people having mobile phones in their hands to be able to receive messages about what's going on. Technology for, you know, for cars to move around with, you know, all that is technology, right? Telling us what's going on and please stay at home or this and this and this and that. Technology to go online and request for permission to to live, to 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 go to the hospital, whatever not the hospital, hospital, you could get get out and go it, you know, but if you're going to grocery shopping and all these things, that we could just get online or dial us a number and request for permission and get that permission. So for a country, you know, being in Rwanda during the lockdown and reflecting on where Rwanda was when I moved back home, I think as a country, we didn't even have a megabyte of connectivity, a megabyte as a country, okay? And today, having broadband in every single district and um, having uh, government officials now convening virtually and not having to move about, having youth volunteers coordinating food distribution in their villages, because, you know, technology making all of that possible, the telemedicine, the drones that were delivering medication and blood and tests and all these things. I mean, it's, and this is just 11 years, right? It's, it's a span of, it's a span of 10, 11 years that all of these things have happened. Okay. So what happened during the pandemic was such great proof that the leadership of Rwanda truly was visionary, right? Because I've heard stories that the president thought about broadband across this country, was sharing it with people in 1994 and saying we will have this country that is connected and, you know, and drawing inspiration from Singapore and other Asian countries, South Korea. Being in that reality and seeing the impact of it during COVID uh, and remembering, I imagine that there was a lot of resistance because in a country where you have so many competing priorities to invest in yeah. healthcare and education, and you know you're spending money on putting wires, uh, you know, putting fiber and everything, and people don't get it. And then finally, now mm-hmm. people get it. People, you know, could order their food and get it uh, right at home with the phone and with, you know, it. So it's. For me, it's it's just it's just uh, it goes it goes to show what visionary leadership can do, and uh, I think 
the power of technology has really been seen and felt and appreciated and people are yearning for more mm-hmm. uh, as a result of what we've, we've experienced. Um, but with that, of course, we have to be careful to protect our children um, who many times, you know, I was seeing, I saw something on Mother's Day that said, happy Mother's Day to the iPad <laughs> because... <laughs> because it's it's raising a lot of children um and my own child is learning you know we you know there's this uh, there's this animated uh, series that teaches you know counting and everything and it's in swahili it's called akili and me mm-hmm. and so she, she the way she's responding when she when she even even if I sing Akili Akili, let's let you know, let's count one, two, three. And she's just so excited. I imagine that by the time she can, you know, count and everything, things will be coming to her and she'll be able to do it in English and do it in Swahili because of this technology that that we that we have available to us. Uh, uh, people, you know, I think by the time our children can go to school, I think her name is Makeba. So when when Makeba can go to school. At, will there be school? I don't know. I think it will all be, it will all be virtual. Um, but I think, you know, technology has truly transformed. Uh, it has shown us what is what we can achieve, and and hopefully, hopefully, it it has inspired us to take it seriously in terms of investing and making sure that everybody has equal access to it so that if another pandemic or another, you know, you know, we are going through climate change right now, some climate crisis comes, people can still be able to have basic services and they're not left behind because they don't have connectivity or they don't have a smartphone or they, you know, I, I really hope that uh, there's that urgency to do it and to do it well and to do it safely for our kids. So, I mean, because of technology, even I have a job, right? I. I have a career because of technology, right? Um, and so do many other people. So I can only imagine that it gets better uh, from here, but I hope that uh, we also exercise all the caution that is required to keep people's data private and safeguard it to build trust and so on and so forth through of, of technology channels. It's, it's always funny when I hear people like on, on the news or on TV talking about how Africa has changed, you know, in the last 20 years and good for me in the last 20 years I was alive, but it's always like an expert on African infrastructures and all, whatever, someone somehow who never really lived in Burundi or in Ghana. I want you to take us back, you know, in Rwanda, tell us a bit about your background, where you're from, obviously you're from Rwanda. What was your life? And we know about the genocide, obviously. What happened? Like, what was your upbringing and then to becoming a professional? So I was born in Uganda, where my my grandparents and parents got uh, found refuge in the 60s when they left Rwanda, which is when, you know, 1959, uh, when really life started becoming hell for Tutsis uh, in Rwanda. And so they, they left to go to Uganda and made something of themselves. My grandfather had herds of cattle and was, you know, a prominent person in, 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 you know, in the place where they settled. My, my, my mom and my, um, my aunties, they all got, my uncles got an opportunity to, to go to school, but some of them had to take care of the younger one. So they didn't get the privilege of, go, of, going, of going to school. 
but life was really difficult for them. Uh, and I imagine for, for their generation, you know, they spent several years in refugee camps in Nyachivara, in Toro, in, you know, in several places. And you'll find pockets of Rwandans in different places because um, of how, how things were. But I think to when we started understanding, uh, we spoke in Yaranda at home and everything, but when we started understanding, it was very clear to us that there's this other place that we came from uh, our you know our grandparents told us about it our parents who even left when they were so young you know because they were raised hearing about it were also telling us uh, and i think it became more more clear um in 1990 or around that time when plans were in gear for for our liberators to make this move to to come back to rwanda you know, but we had, you know, somewhat of a normal life. Right? We, we did have a normal life. We went to great schools in Uganda. We, uh, you know, our parents worked. Uh, uh, it was extra difficult for them because sometimes, you know, they had to pretend that they're not Rwandans in order to get opportunities. Those survival skills were taught to us very, very young. But then I know for sure that in 1994, it was, it was vivid. Um, and I think we became, in 1990, we became... Uh, very aware and very Rwandan. There were all these uh, fundraising events in Uganda for the soldiers, for the work that was being done by the RPA um, to 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 you know to bring us back. And you would hear here and there on the peace talks. I was honestly um, I was young and not following that much what was going on. Rwanda became a reality for me when I came here for the very first time in November in November of 1994. Like coming to be here and visit and and stay and like stay proudly and not, you know, be yeah. worried. And I remember there was a wedding that November of 1994, sorry, December. It was, I think it was the first big party in the, I think the whole, all of us, all of us went to, to Meridier for this wedding, the then Meridier for this wedding. But there was something sad about that visit. Even though we were together as family, there was, you know, electricity and water was still very much, it, it was dark in the city. So you couldn't just, now you can see lights all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's not how it was. There was also a very big presence of, of the military, uh, whether it is the UNAMIS or it is the, uh, our, you know, you could, you'd still, you know, there was still that need to keep things safe. We visited my uncle who was working in in the Virungas and we went to this base uh, in the Virungas. And, and, and it's just now, I think it was uh, not long ago that I was in the Virungas that I started thinking back, oh my goodness, this is actually where we visited oh. Uncle Stephen. He took us to the lake, but, you know, surrounded by soldiers. And we went to 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 Ven Gisenyi, which is now Rubavu, and we visited the former president's uh, home and you know the luxury that they lived. And then you think about our relatives who didn't have the same thing. But I, again, you do, you know you don't really comprehend so much. I was what 14, 15 um, at that time. You don't really comprehend so much until much later when this documentary of 
there's a documentary that came out called um, what was it called? I forget the name of it, but you see realistically what was happening here. You're hearing stories from people who are saving lives. What was it called? But you know something about that documentary that really tore me apart. You know, and because now you're, uh, I was reconciling what I was hearing, reconciling what happened to my cousins and my aunties and so many, several, uh, so many family members. And now seeing how it all began and seeing what was happening, because there were images of what was, you know, of the killing and uh, those that were fighting. And then there's also excerpts of 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 uh, of President Kagame and the Arusha peace talks and just him fighting for us. And then, you know, so just bringing it all together for me, I think it was in 2007 or 2006 thereabout, and it broke me. I became, I think I was more, I was even more angry about so many things. I was in the US and, you know, you could see a counselor and you could get uh, therapy, but I was so overwhelmed by the reality of what happened here and the reality of our history and the reality and the pain that my favorite cousins, you know, must have gone through the trauma of being hunted and and being killed and you know but then you you that the the fact that I could find comfort in at least they all died together can you imagine that his their mom their siblings their all of them they died together because they were killed and the house was uh, bombed on top of them and you know but hearing all these stories and I remember in nine you know through that time of the genocide we had several relatives coming through Uganda uh, having escaped the genocide and continuing on to to France or to Belgium to find other relatives uh, but it came hit and it hit me like a truck of bricks in 2006 and I just I was never the same and so when I came home in 2007 for the first time since 1998, because when I left in 1998, I thought, I hate this country. I never want to come back. It's depressing. It's just not the place to be. 2007, I came back for a wedding and I came back so begrudgingly because, you know, the family expected me to, to come. And when I came back, I saw something that, you know, back in the day, you wouldn't see people walking on the streets. You didn't see like life in, in 1994 and 90, there was no, I could not, I didn't see, I had left Rwanda in 1996. Mm -hmm. So to see life on the streets and people leaving, it was like, wow. And then I came to where my mom and my auntie were working and had been hearing the stories about these women and some of them were wives of genocides and others were survivors and just how they were working together. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, and I think at that time I thought if Rwandans are, if we can forgive to this, ex if these people can forgive, to this extent, and they can work together. Uh, and my mom, my mom and auntie are doing this amazing work. 
what can I do? I mean, the, the, none of them go to university. Uh, here I am, I'm, I am pursuing, I'm trying to see if I can get a master's degree. What can I do? What can I do for my country? What can I do? And I was so fixated on that. And, and, and it is that that led me to uh, think about international development. And obviously you think about it as international development because you're in North America, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, for here, it's just a way of life. You yeah. have to develop, right? Yeah. And so I was really uh, challenged and inspired by what I was seeing. And that is what got me on this path to figure out what to do. I had done, I, I had my, master, my, my bachelor's in in, in IT and I just kept thinking what the heck am I going to do with that to transform people's lives but I met people along the way that mentored me to see what I could do uh, that I could marry technology with policy and really see how to to make a difference um, that led me to my master's um, in public policy and I meet, I mean I went to school knowing that I'm going back to Rwanda Oh. that I'm that I'm going to I have to do something in Rwanda so by the time I arrived for my you know to start my classes I knew I need to be tactful I need to do everything I can I need to build these connections with home and see how I can make a difference and when I graduated and came to Rwanda I then you know and seeing what's possible and working I then said I think wait you know maybe what I do here perhaps I can do it across the continent. You know, maybe it can make a difference across the continent. But it all started here, the resilience and the persistence of, of Rwandans and through the eyes of our parents and through the story of, our, of what our liberators had overcome to actually liberate the country and stop a genocide. The resilience of survivors, the, I, I think survivors probably inspire me the most that they can forge life and, 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 and live and choose to live and choose to forgive. I remember the first April I was here in 2011. You know, every April you're, you know, you're in North America, you, you go to the embassy and you remember, but there was something about being in Rwanda during that commemoration time that just now elevated my, my fire to, to really work to bring, to make a positive difference. And um, I think that my small contribution in terms of even just being part of a great team of people to, to digitize payments, you know, and learning that there's dignity in, in having the choice of how to pay and there's dignity in having an account and there's dignity in having uh, financial services that you need to grow really fuel this fire for me to not stop until not just every Rwandan has the financial tools and services that they have, but that every African, you know, that this message of Agachiro is something that I think is truly Pan-African and it's something that we need to extend. And if I can do it through advocating for equal access to 
financial services and, and tools that you can be in the middle of the war and still be able to transact or that you can be um, uh, sick in your hospital and still be able to pay your, your bills, that you can uh, be out of the country on a mission and still be able to pay your children's school fees. That, you know, that, that freedom to do things where at conveniently is something that we didn't have, that we certainly didn't have when I came back. And, you know, coming from the U.S. where you swipe for everything, even chewing gum, that you go to a farmer's market, you know, on the weekend and you can buy vegetables with your card for $5. Or you can even pay something that is less than a dollar with your card, but that you come here. And if you're coming to Rwanda to visit Rwanda, or if you're coming with, to see your family, you come with cash. It's cash or nothing. Being able to now be in a place that the women in the market take mobile money. They don't do cash. That you can drive from the border in the eastern province to Chigali without transacting with cash. That you can go to the market and buy, you know, that you can buy sumbusas on the side of the road digitally that's crazy to have been part of of making of building the foundation for that is amazing but it could not have been possible if it wasn't literally the president saying we need to fix this issue right and i didn't think it's an issue but here we are figure let's figure out how to make these payments work because we can have tourists coming to visit rwanda spend seven days in various places and they are paying cash um so <laughs> and they are bringing thousands of dollars in cash the secu their own security you know it, it it is insecure uh to do that so being able to contribute to national security in that way because if people feel safe the country can can be safer uh that people can trade you know that i can buy things in senegal or vice versa or i can uh, send money to the village mm -hmm. without needing to find the bus to find a bus that is going and taking the money, praying nothing happens on the road. That you know, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. This is how life was lived right. eleven years ago. That's crazy. Just, Just right. I mean, <laughs> and 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 even um, that you could send money from the U.S. with Western Union, and someone has to pick up themselves, go to the bank line up, bring ID, but now that you can send it directly to someone's phone, think about that. And they don't, they can just, or you can pay their bills from wherever you are in, in Belgium or Canada. These things were not possible 11 years ago. And now it's commonplace. And uh, there's great satisfaction that comes from knowing that you have played a tiny part in making these things happen. And I can only hope that our children will do even bigger and better things. Um, but th they will never know cash. I don't think my child will, will ever know <laughs> That's <what> cash. <laughs> she will, it will be in the museum for her. <laughs> you signed something for it. But it's crazy. Exactly. When you say 11 years ago, honestly, like my heart is like, pumping because like it's amazing it's like hearing someone talking about Wakanda but it's like reality 
but then at the same time, as a Burundian, I feel like there's a, a, a hint of jealousy that comes when I hear about the, the Rwandan, you know, economy, everything that's thriving over there. You want to do the same thing in, in Africa, 54 countries. We have 55. 55. UN recognizes 54, but there are 55 countries if you include the Sahil. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, see, <laughs> we're learning every day. African Union, African Union recognizes all 55, um, but the UN is, is 54. You have to deal with leadership. And as you said before, Kagame, President Kagame, it's, it's about leadership. You know, it's how do you reconcile the fact that you can go to a, a country in West Africa or just even nearby, actually, and be like, we're trying to do this to digitize, guys. It's no brainer. We understand that I don't want to go around carrying 2000 euros when I come, you know, when I want to visit the Virunga and the gorillas. And if I go home for so many reasons and somehow there's still this, you know, you know what I mean? Like the African way of doing uh, politics, I guess. How do you push beyond that and having understanding that not every country has a president of Kagame? Yeah. Um, well, that's another one of the gifts of, of, of what has come out of this pandemic, right? There is no question you must digitize. <laughs> like your life depends on it. Seriously, your economy depends on it. And uh, at a time where, um, uh, you know, with everybody taking care of their own problems because the pandemic really affected every single community, right? Mm. So uh, that means that money is not going to come, investments are not going to come as they used to, to come, and donor funds are not going to come as they used to come. So all you have is this Burundi francs that you have in your country that has to work for Burundians. So if you want to continue collecting revenues, you want to continue uh, delivering services to your, to your citizens, you want to Anything that you need to do economically depends on you having money. So you can digitize the money that you, that and this money that you have in the country works more for you or you leave things as they are. So COVID has taken away the question of must we. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now it's a question of when and the question of there's no question of why, because COVID has shown why mm -hmm. it's important. But obviously, I, I truly believe that once we get the political leadership of, of our continent to see the value of digitization, especially from a national interest perspective, I think that they'll, you know, that, you know, so I think they'll, it will be a no-brainer for them and they'll want to, to make it happen. And we're seeing that urgency coming. I think it's now to figure out how we can get it done and get it done uh, quickly. They're open to learning. <clears throat> I think we need, especially local solutions. I think they want to see more local solutions working for the people because it's expensive to get uh, you know, these international solutions. And also I think leadership wants to feel like they own their solutions and they own their problems they're not someone lecturing them on this is what you need to be doing. 
So I think for me, there is, you know, there's such a responsibility to meet them where they are, understand uh, their thinking, understand what they need, uh, share my thoughts on how we can make things happen uh, in a way that it's a collaborative thinking process, right? So I can provide the thought leadership because I've had the experience of doing this, but I believe so much that you know, that if I sit with, with, with any leader from Africa and we talk through their deeply felt needs, I think, I think they want to see their people develop. They want to see their people have services that they need. Even if they, you know, I really think that even if someone is carrying a gun and you tell them this can make a, you know, this kind of difference, they'll be open to making it a little bit easier for you to, to do, at least, that is me dreaming and hoping. <laughs> but um, everybody, everybody, including the one that is carrying that gun, wants access to financial services. And you will see in many cases, people are picking up, you know, are doing all kinds of crazy things because they don't have opportunity or they don't see opportunities reaching them or they see opportunities with certain people are not with them. But if I come with an opportunity to work with them as a community to figure out these things together, I think it would make uh, life uh, life easier to tell them that if you have connectivity, this is what it's going to do for you and your people. If your people have accounts, if we digitize the wages that they get, however small, uh, if we can get someone to buy that cabbage digitally and that money flows from the farm to when they get their cabbage, it's flowing, it's happening digitally, it can mean this for your community and your country. You can be able to People can, can be safer. They can be able to get more um, access to finance and affordable access to finance because there is more money that we can work with. If it's out in circulation, we can't do much with it. But if we digitize it, it can really work for government. It can work for people. It can work for businesses. I really find it hard to believe that people will refuse, that they'll refuse such a solution at such mm -hmm. a time. So I really have high hopes yeah. that if they see the example of where these things are working, whether it is in Ghana, it's in Senegal, it's in uh, Kenya, it's in Mozambique, in Zambia, where digitization of, of payments, digitization of cash is helping. Mm. And oh, by the way, you know, countries like South Korea, like Singapore, they all started off this way and they did, they moved as quickly as possible. Think about Estonia. Estonia that was in 1990, in the 90s, is when they began their journey. And they're now among the top yeah. digital economies of the world. So we can, there's nothing that is stopping us from, from uh, achieving what others have achieved. We just need to get started and we need to remain focused on getting it done. I really think that uh, everybody will be willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And hopefully as, they, as we put these things together, also funding comes to make it happen in local funding, international funding and all of that. But really our lives depend on this. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> our lives, our lives you know, de de depend on us having dig dignified services. And mm -hmm. I think that um, for other things that leadership may not do right, mm -hmm. I think wanting to see people thrive and develop is something that um, they would want to see and I think would be ready, ready to work on. I don't think that it will be, it may take time and it will take time, 
but I think that all of them see that it's a no-brainer mm-hmm. and they just need support to, 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 to make it done, which makes, uh, to, to get it done, uh, which is what the current times have brought for us and hopefully can um, continue to accelerate uh, this transformation. All right. So there are two things that I'd love to talk with you. It's mm-hmm. about Visa, EcoBank, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Better Than Cash. Visa mm-hmm. because it's a you know, payment, credit card payment, and that's we've been helped a lot <laughs> uh, since I have one and using one in, in Burundi. EcoBank, mm-hmm. just because I work there. Thing I need to there. Not sure if I understood a lot of things there because I feel like the things I was learning in school and the things I was seeing on the ground were completely different. But it's okay. It's fine. It's just that uh, it gave me a different perspective of the economy. The problem where I, when I interview people, Africans or non-Africans, actually talking about the digital payments, it's about the trust issue. So how do you? Okay, I live in France, so I know how the system works. I study finance. But how do you speak to the mother who's selling the vegetables, as you said, telling her about the telephone, you know, M-Pesa? And why does banks, uh, why do bank, African banks are having a hard time getting into the digital payments? They're doing some things now, but there's still like some friction and you're like, you can do this so much quicker, so much I don't know. Maybe it's my youth speaking on two things. Let's just start with Visa. What did you do there and how did you help, you know, to change the system? I mean, Visa was one of those accidental places that I really thought that my life was going to be in government. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, And, uh, you know, but but when I, um, as I was doing my work with RDB, Visa was looking for a place to pilot a product and I really didn't even know what Visa was. I just, you know, I just, I know I had a Visa card and it (laughs) allowed me to pay and it allowed me to get money anytime I needed, but I didn't really know the background of it. So it was then that I had to learn very quickly because my boss said, look, um, I need you to figure out how we can, what we can do with Visa, how we can benefit as a country from Visa. And, you know, so I started reading up and as I read up, I thought, oh my goodness, we can (laughs) You know, like <laughs> we could have POSs, we could have ATMs, we could do all these things and tourists. Okay. So having learned that, we then did a partnership uh, between the government and Visa, you know, around driving uh, um, digitization. And and that work started with financial literacy, money management, you know, an account. And all this financial literacy, we went to markets across the country and we went to universities. But, you know, and it was done in skits, right? So it was comedy that brought this message of why this is important and um, demonstrating to, 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 to your grandma through storytelling was really great and telling people about uh, the value uh, of this and would have banks come along and, 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 and talk to people, but, they, but the banks had nothing to offer. You get an account and a checkbook Oh, yeah, sure. uh, maybe uh, and an ATM card because that's all the card could do is get you cash at, at an ATM then you don't have to line up at the bank but to find an ATM took forever but these things could not resonate with the people uh, in rural areas whether in rural Chigali or in other places because 
it's expensive. I mean, the you know that banks haven't the way that banks did business was expensive. That what we call brick and mortar. You have to build a branch. You have to staff the put electricity, put connectivity. All of that is expensive. What digital has done is that I can be the bank, right? I can be the bank in my community and serve everybody. Uh, but the only way that I can do that is that they trust me to do it. So agency banking was uh, your barber shop, the pharmacy, your hairdresser. Those are the agents that you have. Uh, but even me, if I have some money tomorrow, I, today I can go to MTN and say I have 50,000. I want to become an agent. I'm going to get paid every time I serve a customer. You know, so it became technology has made it very easy that anybody can be the bank. Anybody can be the bank. Uh, obviously, you have to meet criteria because this is sure. people's money, right? So to be an agent, you have to be a registered business. You have to have been in business for this long. But if you are serving your community, they trust you, right? Mm. You've been there. You're part of the community. That is what digitization has made has done. And therefore now the bank doesn't need to build a branch. The bank doesn't need to put an ATM because an ATM costs, if it's cheap, it's that $20,000. But if it is fantastic, it is $40,000. You know how many agents you can get with $40,000? So many. Okay. And that's why mobile money uh, took off very fast because for mobile money, you and I could get an umbrella, put it at the side roadside, become agents. Whereas the bank, it is too involved, okay? So banking has transformed in that way. So if I tell grandma that, by the way, grandma, you know, how do you pay? The good thing is that many people live on their own uh, land in the villages, but they need to buy, uh, they need to pay for water, they need to pay for electricity. Uh, They don't grow everything in their garden, so they need to buy it. There's markets day where they have to go and, you know, buy shoes and all these things. But if you can say, by the way, you know, but sometimes if they have cash, they will, they may even not leave the house because that cash is in the house, right? Or if they get it, it is hidden, you know, yeah. right, it's tied on there, whatever. <laughs> but, if you say, but if you're able to say, grandma, here, telephone, if you telephone, see you? Okay. That's a telephone, wama magara, right? I can call you and we can talk. But do you know that your phone can also be your bank, can be your wallet? And you now don't need to hide your money here. You can keep it here. And only known to you. That password is only known to you. And you can now, if you go to the market, you don't have to pull out all your cash to pay on market day that people see your business. When it's time to pay, you can just pull out your phone, pay the amount that you need to pay with your and you're good to go. And by the way, do you know, you know, the other time I used to send you money and you had to go, you know, whoever to get right. the money. And then they know, they don't need to be literate. They know, I get to do this. Kabiri, I get to do this. And I experienced this when we were uh, uh, delivering services, you know, making sure that food aid became digital 
for refugees in a camp. And uh, for those refugees uh, from DRC, getting money instead of getting food rations meant that they could save some money. They could buy shoes. They don't have to sell their food to buy shoes. They had to sell their food to get inyanya nobutunguru because food rations that came were maize, maize flour, granites, mm -hmm. cooking oil, salt. That's it. And ivindi uri menya. Now, if I don't get this food and I'm getting money here in my phone, I can buy what I need and what I want. I did not, you know, it made me, it disturbed me to know that kugura inyanya nubutunguru was a luxury. And they had to sell part of their food in order to get these things. So digitizing that food, even if it was $9 per household member, mm -hmm. that $9 could get them a loan of $3. Right, so they could get, as a result, they could go to the shop and get credit, uh, get food on loan because there's that $9 that is coming at the end of the month. So that being able to bring dignity to people in a refugee camp that they can choose how, what to do with their money, that they can choose what food to eat was amazing. And if I can, if I can be part of masterminding how that would work and making it happen. Now, Gobjana, I need to explain to our grandma in the village because, <laughs> no, but seriously, because yeah. you, you, like you have to understand what their problems are, what not their problems, but their deeply felt needs as much as ma managing money is concerned. And then you slowly educate them on what digitizing that little money can mean for them. Even if they were to save it, that saving of $9 can get them a car credit to help them through uh, as they wait for the next payment or and so on and so forth. And that grandma doesn't have to walk to go and collect money at an agent or go and collect money, you know, or go and pay for water or go and pay for electricity or go and buy airtime, that they can do it all from the comfort of their home or from their garden, that they no longer have to do all these things, that a food truck can come and find them where they are and buy their food. These are things that I want to see. And I don't think it's difficult to convince somebody because guarding cash can stop you from doing so many things, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, giving people that freedom to sleep at night without worrying about their cash uh, being stolen, to travel somewhere without worried about their cash getting lost or being stolen, to find ease in doing basic things, paying basic bills is why I do what I do. And I can't imagine that it would be difficult for people to not want that. Obviously, corruption is big in cash. There's no accountability where cash is. There's no transparency where cash is. So there'll be people who, you know, will stand in the way. But I, I promise you, they will not stand for long because, <laughs> because 
the natural progression after this pandemic is to digitize and digitize quickly, is to simplify, because how are you going to go and be in a crowd of people to deliver, to count cash, mm. to give to people? Impossible. Mm -hmm. You have to now, you know, we could, back in the day, in 2000 and what, 2012, 2013, when we started doing disbursements, with a click of a button, 3,000 households got their money. Right? So we did that a long time ago here in Rwanda for refugees. So when, social, when, when COVID came, there is no way to say that you need to go and take cash to give to people. No, we solved that problem in nearly 10 years ago. <laughs> what did you, how did you guys see it? That's because let me tell you, Leon, I think we were... <laughs> 2020, it was only last year that we started buying like ticket, bus tickets. Oh, with uh, our phones and I'm like I'm pretty really? sure. yeah and it's in France can you imagine and wow. I was like what yeah and it was like so like so are there it's like yeah you can buy your bus ticket you don't have to touch your bus driver whatever I'm like why is it such a huge news it's like of course because Africa invented something and we don't get to take the credit but it's but here that, I mean that's 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 crazy because even when I was still in the US I did not I did not pay cash for my tickets on the train yeah. <laughs> or for my bus. France is, uh, <laughs> is a bit behind. And I know that Belgium, they're like, in terms of financial tools, they're better set than France. But it gives you an idea of how, like, this is happening back home 10 years ago. This is. Yeah, well, let, don't tempt me to talk about <laughs> France. <laughs> Share something about France, Lucy. No, it's not about France. It's about going to some of these countries that uh, are French-speaking. Um, yes, absolutely. They are also, they are also uh, the most difficult to work um, and convince and get things done. You know, but that's a story for another day. I will, I will not be tempted. So it, I, I'm surprised I, that you just, it's just no, 2020. I, I want to hear about it because I live in France and I'm French speaking <laughs> and I'm English speaking. Let, let me tell you this. So I went to international school back in Burundi. So it's like, you know, private Burundian school. Went to a Belgian, uh, like the last two years, Belgian school. I came to France, study hospitality in a French system. And then I studied finance in an American school. So every time I was starting to realizing like, Oh, actually, I will never go back to a French school again, like ever. <laughs> I'll take you my know, kids so they um, know how to count. But in terms of like higher education, no, I'm like, no. no, but it's important that they know French because it's the only way they can communicate with over eighteen countries on this continent. Exactly. For, you know, it's important that they that they that they know. But you know, I lived in Togo uh, for oh. a few months. Okay. And I spent a good time in Cote d'Ivoire in Senegal. Um, in, in, in Cameroon, uh, working through Ecobank. But, you know, uh, you know just, just going back to Visa taught me and showed me what was possible with digital payments. What I needed to figure out was, you know, what it also helped me figure out is that POS cards, ATMs, those things would never work for Africa because they are very expensive. We needed to figure out how to make the phone be the source of everything because it's easy to get. Uh, so Visa taught me that. 
And once I learned that at Visa and working with the with the banks here in in, in Rwanda, I I wanted to, um, you know, and and I managed Rwanda. Uh, uh, eventually, you know, came to manage Rwanda. Then I they added Burundi to my portfolio. So going to Burundi and now trying to spread that message in Burundi. But first, you have to get the banks to accept these solutions because once they have the solutions and they can give them to people, mm -hmm. then I managed Malawi. And uh, when I when EcoBank came, the opportunity for EcoBank came, and I had the opportunity to to do things for thirty three countries. I was like, okay, I have always wanted to do this thing for Africa, so thirty three is one step closer. And I went and, and I had such an incredible learning experience in, in, in EcoBank. You know, 33 countries, everybody doing things differently. Uh, and I had a, you know, had a timeline because I thought I can't be here longer than three years because, you know, 55 countries are waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I learned working with different cultures. It is where I felt horrible for not speaking French because I hated having to go through a translator to communicate, you know, about doing business. So, but, you know, so I learned a lot in EcoBank uh, about why things work in terms, you know, what works, what doesn't work, why doesn't it work. But I also learned quickly that until we have policymakers appreciate the value of everybody having services, then we're not going to go that far. And as an eco bank, as a person working in this one institution, if I go talking to government, they'll think I'm talking, I want to sell eco bank. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity with UN came with the Better Than Cash Alliance, I said, ah, you know what? I might as well apply because I have an opportunity to engage policymakers. I also have an opportunity to engage private sector. I also have an opposite opportunity to engage civil society, everybody to see the value and make, you know, bring this value to everybody as quickly as possible. And so I applied and I competed among excellent people. I don't know them. I was told that there were people who are more experienced, older than me and, and, and being able to beat out over a hundred and over a hundred people for this role, oh. um, you know, it, it 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 cemented the fact that, you know, I think God really wants me to do this, <laughs> and, there you go. and and I have an opportunity to work with regional players to bring this message and get this work done, and so uh, I am learning, you know, here as an international civil servant learning as well uh you know the politics of it all and everything but i i i i, I it's such um an honor to be able to do this with no with no one questioning yeah. you know is she speaking for ecobank is she speaking for this is she, you know like there's no allegiance to anything i want solutions and i want solutions that work for the people and let's figure it out together to get it done um, and so to be here advocating for digital payments, advocating for financial inclusion, advocating for digital identification so that everybody can have other access that they need because without ID, you really can't get what you need, you know, is a privilege. But it all started with understanding the challenge that Rwanda had and then figuring out how we could, you know, beginning to figure out how we could solve it being part of solving some of these you know, problems, like for instance, on the refugee camps, among other solutions, 
um, then going to the bank and thinking about how do we bring businesses on board? What solutions do they need so that they can serve people digitally? And now coming to the UN to bring it all together, <laughs> I could not have dreamt this. I, this is beyond my wildest dreams. I did not pray for this, um, but 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 I feel so honored and humble to be entrusted with this responsibility to lend my voice to such a cause that I know is going to transform the the the, the continent. That I know that <clears throat> you know there is that rap song that says money, power, respect. Um, we have money in Africa. We need to bring it together into our financial instruments and make it work for us. I think once we bring our money together and make it work for us, we can have the power and then command the respect mm. that we deserve to, you know, in that Africa that we want, that yeah. Africans will not walk with their heads down, they'll walk proudly, uh, regardless of where you're from. You know, I think I'm one of those who that can prove that I think when your heart is open and you are ready to do the work, you can achieve anything. You just have to be prepared. And even if you're not prepared, because I was never prepared for this, as long as you're willing to be used for good, um, I think there's a lot There's a lot that can come with that. And, and, and what a privilege. That's amazing. To be able, to, be able to do it. Who knew that I would be speaking about digital payments and refugee camps and then hearing about like the dignity that you guys are bringing back because and remember my parents and grandparents were refugees they lived in worse conditions so to have that full circle moment i mean you see the rare privilege lord is good the lord is good and somehow it's funny because you keep saying i don't complain like i'm not complaining and it's funny because obviously you compare yourself to what your grandparents been through and your parents but do you sometimes sit down and be like can I just give a high five to myself? You know, like <laughs> you know? an ego boost or something. <laughs> no, like, but something we just have to be like, I was on the ground because seeing, just hearing the the, 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 the refugee camps, because I, I did like in high school, we did this project where we helped, there was a, a famine in the country and we did some amazing things as 15 and 60 year old students. Mm. And it was hectic because there was a lot of bribes and a lot of crazy things. And, and we realized we're just kids wanting to help, you know, uh, other kids bringing food. And now that someone has a phone, you give me your phone number and I could like literally send you. And I'm like, it could have changed so much. And somehow hearing this and people will be hearing this as well, diaspora or not. It's like it's doable because most of the time we're just like, I, I hate when people say, send money there and I don't know who's in charge and I don't know how it's working. Be it La Croix Rouge, be it uh, Médecins Sans Frontières or someone. I just, I don't know. Like uh, when you see Haiti, uh, I don't know where the money went, to be honest, most of the money. So hearing that yeah. m- mobile money is just changing and countries are being transformed. Come on. Uh, not just mobile money, by the way, but mobile money has now forced the banks to become mobile, right? So <laughs> there banks, you go. Now, banks now have agents. Um, and, you know, and I think banks have such a powerful position because they will never go out of fashion. Uh, <laughs> that is the, you know, that, that is the, the, the honest to God truth. But the fact that the opportunities that have come 
as a result of digital. I mean, the pharmacy over here can be my bank is is mm. is is amazing. So really, this mobile phone, uh, mobile phone, mobile wallets. Uh, work has transformed things, uh, bulk disbursements, because, you know, if you, for, with a click of a button, you can send money to thousands of people is incredible that, the, you know, the opportunities, the employment opportunities that are coming as a result of digital, you have fintechs that are creating all kinds of opportunity going and digitizing village savings and loan associations, you know, VCLAs. And now those village savings uh, can come to our financial institution and say, we have this deposit. And we want we want uh, loans for the group uh, at this rate, and the banks say yes, you know, and that's possible because of technology. Putting all these small monies together to become this big chunk that can truly make a difference. That is why cashless has to be done, right? Is that even if I have a random uh, one hundred francs, and the next person has a billion francs, they're, if they're all in the bank it can work for all of us, right? That if it's all in a financial institution, it can work for all of us. And the more there is, the faster it is for more of this to be rolled out to other people. It's just exciting. It's excited. Uh, yeah. I wake up excited because I, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm going to, this is, this is not a job. Yeah. This is my life's work. And this is, you know, a mission that, that I'm on, that I'm excited to see, to see the outcome of, um, and I really can't wait to hopefully five, you know, I put out the mission that, you know, I want to see 900 million Africans financially, digitally and financially included in five years. It's a wild dream, but, but I'm putting it out there. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we, the, there's nothing that we're lacking. We're not lacking anything to make it happen. It, we just need to have the will to make it happen because this mobile phone, right? If everybody that has a phone essentially has an account, essentially can be a merchant, can be an agent. So the mobile phone is the power to get him to 900 million. And I really believe we can do it. I will be remiss if I didn't ask you two things climate change because you work at a UN and blockchain technology. Mm. Let's just start with talk, uh, blockchain. Where do you see it going? Where do you see it? <laughs> you know? I can't, you know, we've not seen anything yet with blockchain. I think the, just that freedom to innovate and do things quick, blockchain can speed up so much and unlock so many opportunities. So, um, I hope that we can we can open ourselves up, you know, taking every single precaution, right, to all the possibilities that it can bring. Because with blockchain, this whole cashless dream can happen like that. In a second. It, it, <laughs> it can happen in less than five years. With Are you serious? No. Yes, it can. Yes, blockchain technology is really really something but we have to make sure that as we are doing this technology we are doing it in a way that promotes uh green and we're protecting our environment you know and obviously these things require wiring and require electricity let's make sure that that electricity is generated in a clean way let's make sure that the recycling of 
of all these instruments that we use, uh, we don't dump that e-waste. We can maybe repurpose it and build houses with it. I don't know, right? Because I've seen people build houses with plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. uh, why can't we do the same with all these things? What can we do? So as we, you know, we have to do as much as we can to protect our environment. We don't get second chances with with our environment. We every irresponsible thing of you know recycling and you know I have gardens. I live on a fourth floor and I have plants uh, surrounding my apartment and I want to plant a tree like as many trees as possible. I want my child every birthday will be celebrated with planting a tree and you know I, I really would want our technology industry to be to drive cleanliness and you know cash is also very it's not very climate friendly right so it's important that we just move uh, away from printing the, what is required to print a coin required to print a, a, a note is too much whereas with technology we can remove that cost and, and and digitize that money but even with technology we need to ensure that waste is well managed we need to ensure that energy uh, that is generated uh, from this is clean it is reused and we're not wasting anything that is going to further make I mean, our climate is getting worse the air quality outside you know the, the visibility is, is it's, it's all foggy because mm. of what who knows what is coming from where so we have a responsibility to ensure that we get this climate for ourselves, but especially for the generations that are to come. I mean, I think about the Netherlands, that is, the, I think it's the lowest. Netherlands, Maldives, that are literally, like any change in temperature and the oceans rise and these countries could go away. Yeah, blockchain can make cashless dreams happen like this. Uh, climate, we must, from the time, you know, just like I think cashless should be taught to our children when they're they are still young, same thing with protecting the environment and teaching them by showing them how to is very important. There you go. So yeah. for the pessimistic or the sarcastic, they'll say, if I have a wallet and my money is on, is like linked to a bank and I live in Africa and we've seen what Twitter have just been through with Nigeria, I'm not sure if the money will be mine, but who knows? We'll just have to make sure that... No, money money, money will be yours. Money instruments are regulated. They're heavily regulated. And this reason central bankers are, are weary of, of things that they can't control, like cryptocurrency and, and, you know, you know. But I think with time, we can figure it out. And the more we have regulators making sure that your money is safe mm -hmm. and holding everybody accountable, I think, you know, I think we can, you don't hear of, but by the way, <laughs> can we even quantify how much we have lost from cash? How much money has been stolen in cash? How much money has been lost in cash? We can't quantify it. <laughs> For digital, at least we can say, my 10,000 didn't reach me. And we can follow it and get my 10,000. But if you drop your 10,000 on the street, I remember one morning I picked up a 2,000 note when I was walking. Mm. I still have it. I've not done anything with it because <laughs> I don't pay cash. But someone <laughs> lost 2,000 2, francs, they'll never get it back. But if it gets lost in the interwebs, the bank will trace it and will give it back to me. Even if mm. there's been some kind of breach, the bank has insurance yeah. that will make sure I get my money back. 
But think about all the monies that government people and others have run away with in cash. Think about the roads that we have missed out because everything was cash. Think about the hospitals that we could have had the hospital beds at because cash. So if someone can quantify for me how much cash has been lost, they can't because it's too much. I think there is greater trust yeah. in digital that I can dial and I can see my money is there. And if anything, I can call somebody, I can get my money back. But cash, once cash is gone, Done. it is gone forever. So I'm going to ask you, what do you see yourself in five years? But before that, I'm going <laughs> to push myself into the refugee camp. If you're going somewhere, like you have a mission in DRC or what? Call me. I'll join you. I want to <laughs> I want to jump on the plane and be like, I want to see how this is working because this is amazing. Beyond the companies and corporations are doing a great job, obviously, Safaricom. And, but seeing how all this, you know, this conversation makes sense just because you see and you, you, can, you can literally say this is changing lives. This is Safaricom is not big monies being saved. Safaricom is small monies being transacted. Crazy. So imagine if every country could bring as much money as Safaricom combines, commands, how much would we have to develop our countries, right? Uh, where do I see myself in five years? Honestly, if I have life, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be celebrating something with that 900 million vision that I've put out there. Uh, so in five years, if I have life, I will be grateful because, and, and if my child is still here, I will be thankful. I don't think that far. Every day that comes, I'm just, I, I live it like it is five years. <laughs> I do my best to enjoy every moment. So I don't know where I see myself in five years because I could not have predicted this is where I would be in five years. So I'm not going to limit going to limit myself or my blessings by thinking about where I'll be in five years because I'll live every day and I just I just I'll, I'll just hope that in five years I'll be celebrating 900 million or something close to it I mean I'll have to link you with uh, a Cameroonian who's doing something with the blockchain and I think like I'll let you know I'll let you know working on that <laughs> but uh if right. it happens 900, like this is, it's not like a million. This is 900. <laughs> yes, because think about it. We are 100, sorry, 1.2, 1.3 billion people. Yeah. So 900 million is about 70, 70% of the population. Thinking that our continent, majority of people, over 60% are 30 and under. Okay. So the average age is 15. In five years, that will be what? So we, if youth are included and they can have an account and they can be paid digitally and they can uh, be able to access things, like in five years, we can't be talking about the same issues. About today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the youth have to find better. So if we digitize now, the majority of Africans will have the services that they need in five years. So yes, 900 million. And what do you want to see then in five years for Rwanda? You see, what I want for Rwanda is the same thing that I want for 
for Africa, right? Um, five years that every single adult is thriving because they have access to the services, to the financial services that they need. Because really, without money, you can't do anything, right? Um, and so if I can be able to, with my 10,000 francs that I earn, if I'm able to get credit to make something of this 10,000 and it becomes 15,000 in a month, that's what I want to see. And digitization makes that happen. Uh, but all of that is powered by connectivity, is powered by having the digital tools. It's powered by women included. Every financial report that has come out, women are 4% behind, so four basis points behind. They're behind on mobile phone ownership. They're behind on, 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 on mobile money. They're behind on bank accounts. I want to see that it is 50-50 right? It's 50-50 access. Mm -hmm. It's 50-50. You know, there is no percentage points of women behind. So the, the FinScope that comes out in five years, we need to have 50-50 <laughs> access. You're really around these because uh, everything. It's a 50, you, you're so much into the quotas. Every time I read something about Rod, it's like 50 women, 50% women, 50%. And I'm this, like, but this is, not a, this is not a random thing. Across the world, when it comes to financial services, for some reason, women are, and for Africa, it's even worse. Yeah. So we need to be close to 50 50. Mm. Equality is important because from equality, you can work on equity. So first of all, let's have equal access. Yeah. And then we can do more around driving equity because that's when we can create a more equal world. Hopeful that uh, so many things will be done, obviously, and Burundi will somehow join whatever forces. Oh, Burundi, Burundi don't worry about Burundi. Burundians are resilient. You know, what? One, one of the things that I love about uh, cashless is regardless of your political uh, situation is you can have opportunities to to do to make something of yourself so we are hopeful for burundi yeah thanks a lot have a, Thank a you. great uh, day uh, sunny you. and uh who knows we'll see each other in Rwanda or somewhere in africa <laughs> or it won't be paris <laughs> thank you <laughs> lovely to meet you and we'll talk soon. <laughs>